I would like to welcome each of you here this morning. It's great to see you here. We're thankful for the choice that you've made to be here. We also want to welcome those who may be joining us by Zoom. We're thankful that, that you have that platform as well to be a part of this service. I apologize, the plan has changed for the evening service and I didn't get that information to Charles, but Bob Brunson will be our speaker at the evening service. And so we look forward to hearing him and we invite you to come back at that time. I want to begin this morning by relating a story to you and it's a story that I think most of us are familiar with. But I hope this morning that we look at it with a very different perspective. The story that we think about this morning is one of a criminal. This guy wasn't a petty thief, but he was a hardened criminal. He was a murderer. The Bible tells us that he had gone so far as to try to lead an uprising against the Roman government. And it's that same harsh Roman system that has him imprisoned at this time. So imagine, you, if you will, as he sits here in prison and he contemplates his situation. Maybe he thinks of his family. Maybe he's remorseful for his actions. But whatever his thought process was, he knew that he was guilty and he knew what his punishment was. This particular morning, outside the walls of the prison, he could hear a mob that had, uh, had gathered there, and their cry was, Crucify him! Crucify him! This man knew that his destiny was an eye for an eye. And even though he knew his own guilt, he didn't want to die. It was at this point that, that, that this man saw another man sitting in prison. The guards had come to him and had led him from the prison a free man, but perhaps as he walked the halls, he saw this man sitting in silence. Maybe he knew him before, maybe he didn't, but something tells him that this man is innocent. And it's at that point that Barabbas looks at the man before him, the man they call Jesus, and realizes that he's the one that is now in his place. Imagine, if you will, if, if the two men, their eyes meet, and Barabbas looks into the eyes of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Barabbas, go free. You're the one that I'm dying for. Jesus was in that position that day. And I want you and I to put ourselves in the position of Barabbas. We're guilty of sin, and sin carries with it the weight of punishment. But you know what? God looks at you and I, He looks at each one of us, and He says, go free. You're the one I'm dying for. Did Barabbas believe that this was just a stroke of luck, that he was set free? You know, the Bible clearly states that Christ's death was meant to be. In Acts 2, verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Jesus did not die by mistake. And although our sins make, it, make the death of Christ necessary, it is God that brought it to pass. Just as Barabbas, you and I are condemned by sin. 
You know, there is no way possible that we can be reconciled to God on our own. Just as Barabbas was pardoned that day, you and I have been pardoned because Christ laid down His life. I want us to turn to Matthew 26. And as we go there, let's understand that Jesus is here in the garden. He's there with some of His apostles, and and He sees Judas coming, and Judas is bringing the mob to Him that is going to take Jesus. We see that Peter stands up and he defends Christ. He draws his sword and he, he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And let's pick up the reading in verse 2 where it says, But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scripture be fulfilled that it must happen? Even Christ's own apostles didn't understand. Even though Jesus had told them what His destiny was, He had told them that He was to go to the cross and that He would be put to death. They didn't understand. Jesus could have been delivered. But it was His choice. He chose to fulfill the Father's plan. John 10, verses 17 through 18, the Bible says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received of my Father. You know, I think as we consider the crucifixion of Christ, We think about how Jesus was wrongly accused by the Jews. We think about Pilate and how he realized, he came to the the realization that Christ was innocent, but he refused to help him. We think about the Roman soldiers as they nail Jesus to the cross. But you know, it all comes down to the fact that the crucifixion was the choice of God and of Christ because that was the only way that we could be reconciled. You know, no one had power against Christ. As Christ stood before Pilate and he was silent, Pilate said, do you not understand that I have the power to set you free or to put you to death? Christ's response was, he said, you have no power but what is given you of God. Christ laid down his life willingly. So let's consider this morning some of the gifts that, Bar- that Barabbas received that day. And I hope that we each will consider what we do with those very same gifts. First of all, Barabbas was given the gift of freedom. You and I all know that freedom is never free. Barabbas stood as the beneficiary of Christ's death. And then, that's all we hear. He passes, and we don't hear of him anymore. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to what might have happened to Barabbas. Some think that maybe he became a disciple of the one that took his place. Some people think that maybe he just lived a life of sorrow, that that he was forgiven but couldn't forgive himself, knowing that someone died in his place. You and I have been granted freedom. And just as Barabbas was in a physical prison, you and I have been bound in a prison of sin. James 1 verse 15 says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, 
and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Christ said in Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In these verses, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 21. And we must understand, understand that Christ offers us true freedom. You know, as we live our lives, we see that sin promises a counterfeit freedom. 2 Peter 2 and verse 19, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. You know, as Americans, we value our freedom. And I think sometimes that gets the best of us. I think that sometimes we're like the Jews that Jesus spoke to in John the 8th chapter. It says, uh, Christ said to them, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You know, sometimes I think we have the same arrogant attitude that the Jews did. You know, we're not held captive by men, but we sometimes allow ourselves to be held captive, to be held in a stranglehold by sin and by worldly pursuits that enslave us and draw us away from Christ. You know, it's God's will, the truth, that enlightens us and brings us that true sense of freedom. We've been given the ability to pursue whatever we enjoy within the confines of God's will. Christ has freed us from that guilt of sin. So let's think again about Barabbas, and what, what do you think he did with his freedom? Do you think he returned to a life of crime? Did he turn his emotions inward? Was he convicted and changed his life? Did he do good for others? Did he become a servant? We need to ask ourselves the same question. Do we use our freedom as an opportunity to gripe and complain about life? Jesus suffered an agonizing death on the cross for you and I. Surely, we can find something more constructive to do with our time. You know, we've all heard the phrase, power corrupts. And I think sometimes that same idea applies to our freedom. Does our freedom make us selfish? Galatians 5 and verse 13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity to the, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our liberty is a call, is not a call of selfishness, but rather a call to service. You and I have an ongoing responsibility to our fellow man and to our fellow Christians, and Christ has always been our example in service. You know, prior to this day in the life of Barabbas, he had been very selfish. He had thought of his own needs and not the needs of others. 
We too sometimes can become self-centered, thinking only of what is best for us. The selfless gift that Jesus gave should bring each and every one of us to the realization of the responsibility that we each have to Christ and our fellow man. So as we consider the important relationships in our life, as we consider every endeavor that we take, take on, you know, it always comes down to the point that we get out of something exactly what we put into it. And I think about it this way, opportunity equals responsibility. I'm reminded of a quote from Oswald Chambers. It said, God's purpose is not simply to make us beautiful, plump grapes, but to make us grapes so that He may squeeze the sweetness out of us. Our spiritual life cannot be measured by the success as, world, as the world measures it, but only by what God pours through us, and we cannot measure that at all. You know, it's not about you and I. It's what God can do through us. It's how we can serve, how we can be used by God. As we continue to think about our freedom and our response to it, I want us to think about action. You know, when we think about the parable of the talents, what was the point of that parable? The point is action. The man who the Lord delivered two and five talents to, they took action. They put those things to use. And when the Lord returned, they went to Him and they, they showed the increase. They said, you gave us two, you gave us five, and here are, are more. We each have a responsibility to exercise or put to use the talents that we've been blessed with. We should never be satisfied with what we have, but rather always be looking for opportunities to grow and to exercise our talents. Luke 12, beginning in verse 8, it says, But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. But everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. And so again, I want us to think about this idea that opportunity equals responsibility. What we've been given, what we've been blessed with, the talents that we have, carry with it a weight of responsibility. So I want all of us to ask ourselves the question, what opportunities have we been given? What are you doing with those talents, with those opportunities? What are the things you've been given? Maybe it's finances, maybe it's time, maybe it's the ability to tell others about Christ. Also, let's think about the opportunities that, have met, that we've missed. Think about just the last week and the opportunities that we may have passed by. You know, when gifts are given, there's always an expectation that they be used wisely. And what that amounts to is accountability. We are all stewards of these gifts that Christ has given, and it's our duty to use them wisely. 
Barabbas experienced firsthand how that Jesus' life was given in his place. And you and I have been purchased with that precious blood of Christ. And this demands responsibility and action on our part. Again, we go back to the talent of the parables. And the one man who had been given one talent, he said to the Lord, he said, I, know, I knew you were a hard man, and I took and hid this talent in the ground, and, and here it is. I brought it back to you. What did the Lord say? He was very displeased with inaction. It's never appropriate for us to simply be satisfied with the status quo. There's always work to do. I think about a song that, that we used to listen to a lot, and the chorus of this song said, Everybody knew that somebody should do all the important things that nobody did. How many times have we passed by an opportunity to initiate a good work and to join other Christians in a worthwhile activity and we sit and wait on, on an invitation? Let's don't wait, let's initiate. So many opportunities are lost when we neglect our stewardship. How many times have we let the opportunity to share Christ with others pass by without a word? How many times have we squandered an opportunity to comfort those who are experiencing difficulty? We have countless opportunities to be salt and light as we are directed in Matthew 5. We have the choice every day to do good or to simply let it pass by. What it takes is consistency and clarity on our part. You know, consistency is when people know exactly what we're going to do every time. Clarity is making a clearly defined choice, and we need to be the same whether we are at home, at work, at school, or at church. And I ask myself, am I a person of integrity? I know I've shared this with you before, but this was a billboard that I saw years ago, and it's something that stuck with me. The billboard said that, I'll get it in a minute. It says, reputation is what people think you are, but integrity is what you are when nobody's looking. And I think that's something we've got to ask ourselves. Are we people of integrity? Another gift that Barabbas was given was that of joy. Consider again how uh, shocked he must have been. He knew that he was guilty and he knew what the penalty was for his action. So obviously he would have been shocked. But when the shock wore off, surely he experienced a great joy that his life had been spared. Do you think that, that from that day forward that Barabbas ever complained about his circumstance again? The truth with us is that we complain about the weather, how tired we are, how hard we work, our health problems, our financial problems, the government, and the list goes on and on. Joy should be certainly a part of the life of a Christian. You know, we've had some good lessons recently about joy and happiness. And it was stated that happiness can come and go. Happiness is affected by our emotions. 
But true joy comes from God. True joy can only come from being a part of God's kingdom. It's when we take on that responsibility and when we serve that we truly can experience great joy. In Nehemiah 8 verse 10 it said, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this, is, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now Nehemiah is speaking to the children of Israel as they have returned to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And he tells them, you enjoy what you've been given. But he said, understand that true joy comes from the Lord. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is fulfillment in the Christian life and blessings in having fellow Christians. Again in Psalm 126 and verse 2, the Hebrews praised God after their deliverance from captivity. It says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. These people realized the gravity of what had taken place. They realized that true joy only comes through God. Does our attitude and our countenance show or reflect joy? Do we bless others with our lives or do we mope around and constantly complain about our life and our circumstances? You know, I hope that we never allow Satan to rob us of our joy. Christ died for it. Don't let anyone take it away. Do you think that ever a day passed by that Barabbas didn't think of Jesus, that man that died in his place? Can you imagine the sobering impact that that had on Barabbas? How do we respond to the same reality? The death of Christ is most definitely a life-changing experience. John 10, verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Listen to the blessing that Christ pronounces upon us. He said, I have given to you abundantly. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says God has equipped him. He's taught him in every situation. He said, I've learned to be full and I've learned to be hungry. And verse 13 tells us I can do all things through Christ. And I, I like what Hugh Miller says when he reads that verse. He said this is not about winning ball games. This is about God equipping us, giving us the ability to handle the ups and downs of life. He gives us the uh, ability and the strength to persevere. 
You know, Barabbas was given a unique opportunity, and perhaps he took advantage of his second chance. Maybe he lived his life in a way to benefit others. Do we live our lives in such a way? We should, because God has prepared us to do just that. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. We've been given the tools. We all should be prepared for service in the kingdom. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. In Romans 6, beginning in verse 10, For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to sin. We are told that we should not allow sin to reign in our bodies. Romans 8 says that we are to mortify or put to death the deeds of the body. Finally this morning, I want us to understand that none of us are an island. Romans 14 verse 7 says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Our actions affect other people. We do not do anything that affects only ourselves. You know, no man who ever lived except Barabbas saw Jesus die on a cross. A cross that was prepared not for Jesus, but for himself. So as we've considered Barabbas this morning, I hope that we can look through his eyes. We stated Barabbas was guilty. He knew he was guilty and he knew what the punishment was for his actions. He was a rebel against the law. You and I are as well. We've been guilty of breaking a law far more righteous than the, the Roman law. We've robbed God of our love and our service. Barabbas was not waiting for a trial. Barabbas was waiting an execution. He knew what his destiny was, and that destiny was crucifixion. And he knew what that meant. He knew that it meant long hours of agony. He knew that it was an angry mob cheering on his death. So you can imagine his surprise when he hears the footsteps of the guard, and they come, and he hears the key in the cell. The door swings open, and he's led from the prison as a free man. As he walks out of the prison, maybe curiosity draws him to follow the crowd that is moving towards Golgotha. 
Maybe it's only when the sound of the hammer driving the nails into the hands and feet of Jesus and that cross is lifted up into place that Barabbas looks from a distance and he sees the man that's there taking his place. Perhaps he presses his way through the crowd and comes to the very foot of the cross. Maybe he comes face to face with Jesus. And he looks into his eyes and he realizes this is a man that walked the streets preaching and teaching. He's no criminal, but rather he's a man of love and compassion. You know, Barabbas didn't have to be a Bible scholar to fully understand the significance and the power of the cross. He knew that he was guilty under righteous condemnation of the law. And in both respects, Barabbas is a representative of us all. I hope this morning that we've gained a new perspective. I hope that each and, one of, each and every one of us has a new appreciation for the power of what Christ has done, what He's accomplished for you and I. If you're here this morning and subject to the gospel call, we want to uh, invite you to come. If you've been taught and you would like to respond in obedience and in baptism, we would like to help you with that. If you're here this morning and the prayers of the church would be of help to you, we also would like you to come. And so if you are subject in any way, please come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.